Welcome to Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. Each week we sit down to discuss various topics concerning gynecologic cancers and women's health care. In 2019, at the age of 32, I was diagnosed with uterine cancer and became painfully aware of just how unaware I was of everything down there. On this podcast, we interview experts, share personal stories, and explore new research. No subject is off limits, so we caution you to listen at your own discretion. Welcome back. We wound up the month of May, and we're sliding into June. We thought we'd talk a little bit this week about a forum, a patient forum I was a part of, and kind of share some of those things and how they connect with a lot of the other topics we've discussed. As we have talked about on the podcast, Alex and I both inherited a genetic mutated gene, which has um, caused us to both have hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, HCM. And um, it's something that runs rampant in my family on my mother's side. Several of my relatives um, have the mutated gene and it has manifested itself as HCM. And so we have some who just barely know they have it and others who've really suffered tragically with the condition. I have um, tried to do my due diligence as I've progressed in the condition and so has Alex and the both both of us having it has kind of helped us share um, what we've talked about and what we've um, learned and how that relates to us Um, so I have been checking in with the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy association and um, I learned a lot through them and through my association with them I was asked to be part of a patient forum that was held uh, recently several doctors from the American College of Cardiology were a part of the forum Um, several patients who have HCM and then several staff members of the ACC as well and um, also Lisa Salzberg who is the Uh, CEO and founder of HCMA. So we all sat down together virtually and um, had an interesting conversation, and that's really what we're going to talk about today. We um, had some of the patients, well, all of the patients were asked by the doctors and moderators to share um, about HCM and how it personally has affected them. And a few of those things are... um, Some people, some patients felt as though they really are filled with fear and anxiety uh, because they have the condition, but I think also because they don't know what's around the corner. And um, for HCM patients, sudden death is one of the things that can happen. That's what happens to your thickened heart. Um, Isn't it it actually listed as like the number one symptom yeah they call it a symptom which always my mind kind of made me chuckle but yes it is and um you know we talked about when you hear about a young athlete who collapses on on the track or on the court or on the field and doesn't have any heart issues uh, documented but has a sudden death event 
um, and some are revived and many are not, they do an autopsy and find that that young person had um, cardio, uh, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And Alex and I always, when we hear something on the news like that, we always just look at each other like HCM. Um, because a lot of people don't know they have it until they have an issue. So a lot of the patients felt as though they um, just lived in fear and anxiety. And I don't think that's so different from other conditions or diseases that people might be diagnosed with. Yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot on the um, Peach page with um, women who have been diagnosed with cancer it's a lot of unknown. There is a lot of anxiety in it. And, um, you know, I think it's pretty rare, I would say. It's not unheard of, but it is pretty rare for a woman to be diagnosed so late in the game that death is looming and around the corner. But I think the anxiety for us more comes into play with, well, has it spread? Has it gone somewhere else in my body that I don't know about. Oh, my shoulder hurts or I coughed, you know, I, I developed a cough. Is it in my lungs? And it, so you kind of start making up things like, oh, well, it's cancer. I've kind of just started to joke about it, right? <laughs> like, oh, my knee hurts. Must be the cancer. That's how you're <laughs> dealing with it. That's how the I fear cope. and anxiety, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, another thing that was discussed is, um, that it's important, and a doctor also um, actually brought this up, that it's important for decisions to be made as a shared experience with doctors and the patients um, because the um, HCM is very unique to the patient. Everybody doesn't react and respond the same way to the condition or to the medication or to their lifestyle. And um, so there's not like a cookie cutter way to handle the condition. And um, so I was really happy to hear this cardiologist say it's just very important for there to be shared decision making. And again, I think that's really an important thing with any medical diagnosis. And that sounds really familiar, right? That um, not every person is the same. Not everybody is cookie cutter. You can't go by the book. You could be 32 and get uterine cancer, even though the research says most people who get it are postmenopausal. So, yeah, that sounds very familiar. Well, and that's um, certainly a glaring example of how everyone's different and everyone deals with things differently. And Th each patient needs to be treated like an individual. Absolutely. And um, I think oftentimes that's lost on some caregivers and it's up to us as patients to remind them of that very thing. Um, I, I don't think we can rest all the responsibility on the medical community. We've talked about that, how we need to be advocates for ourselves. And so it, it's on us as well to say, wait a minute, just cause you do that with 50% of your patients doesn't mean I fall in that 50%. So mm -hmm. let's talk about things that are unique to me. And, um, in our experiences, doctors are open to that. So it's our own uh, maybe fear and insecurity um, of not bringing it up that could cause an issue. So it's important to be an advocate. It is. And I think it's hard to be an advocate. It is. Because, you know, the 
doctor is a professional. They went to school for a billion years. They have all of these certifications. They should be the expert. And how many times have we been to the doctor and brought up something or asked a question and they said, well, I I don't know. I, I don't know about that part of the condition or I have only seen this one or two times. I'm not an expert in it. And so, um, you know, you could be the patient who helps your doctor learn about that condition to help other patients as well as yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I'm never put off by a doctor who says, I don't know. Um, I'm put off if he says, he or she says, I don't know. And there's a period at the end of that sentence. But if they say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out, um, that doesn't bother me that they don't know. And I'm encouraged when they are motivated to find the answer because that means they want to continue to learn and do the best for me. Um, Another thing that was discussed by a doctor in this forum was the importance of educating non-HCM cardiologists. Now, the, the reason that even came up is because so many of the patients who were part of the forum began their HCM journey with a primary care doc who saw, either heard a murmur or saw something on the EKG that didn't look right. Um, So they were sent to a cardiologist. And even when they got to the cardiologist, the cardiologist didn't have a clue what HCM was. Um, Or if they had a clue, they knew what it was, but they had no idea how to treat it. Um, That had happens more than we'd like to think and that's what I have found out in my experience with the HCMA. So um, the ACC is committed to educating non-HCM cardiologists and again if we look back on um, Alex's journey the importance of you know it wasn't just important for her to go to an oncologist it was important for her to go to an oncologist who specialized in gynecologic cancers. And that's something that a lot, I've been really interested on uh, the Facebook group I'm in. A lot of women are in smaller or rural communities and they don't have access to more than one oncologist or an oncology practice. And so oftentimes they will only be seen locally or regionally by an oncologist who isn't necessarily aware of um, specifics about gynecologic oncology and, and treatment and different kinds of gynecologic cancers. And that's kind of scary because a lot is unknown, period, if you study gynecologic cancer, that if it's just a chapter in a textbook, one week of class, um, you know, that's, that's really nerve-wracking. So, um it's, it's important to see as specialized as a practitioner as you can. Yeah, I, um, I was really blown away during this forum. The forum lasted four hours, so there was a lot covered. And I was surprised that there was so much discussion about mental health. Um, there were several patients who, well, and doctors, but um, the patients brought up how difficult living with HCM has been for them. And some of the things they talked about, some of these were young women who um, were concerned about pregnancy risks if you have HCM. Um, 
most of us were talked about passing on the gene and, um, you know, what that does to your own family planning. Do you really want to pass along this gene? It's an autosomal dominant trait. And so your children have a 50-50 chance of getting the mutated gene. And then, of course, we talked about the fear of a sudden cardiac event. Um, People living with that and feeling like they're always in fear uh, weight management people talked about because um, you're limited. Well, I shouldn't generalize. Many HCM patients are limited in what exercise they can do. Uh, personally, my doctor has told me he doesn't want my uh, heart rate over 100. And, um, you know, it's hard to do just about anything and your heart rate not go over 100. And mine um, has said you can walk yeah. and, and that's it. You know, he hasn't limited my heart rate necessarily, but, um, you know, I can't, I, I tried to be a runner for a little while. Can't do that. Um, you know, I used to swim. Nope. Just walk. Yeah. Which, which, you know, research has said walking is a good exercise. And if you do it regularly, it can be just as good as other aerobic activities. Um, so it's not super limiting in, um, the wellness factor, like things that I, you know, that I can do something for my body, but it is limiting in the choice of activity. Well, and it's lim- limiting when you walk with your mother because <laughs> I, my heart rate can't go over 100. So, <laughs> so we, we, we stop. Rest yes, we stop, we stop a lot. And that's okay. <laughs> I wear my smartwatch and it tells me when my heart rate is too high and we just kind of stand around and chat for a few minutes. Well, and it's really interesting when I travel with people who are healthy and don't have heart issues, um, and we're walking around cities and climbing hills, and, and I'm the one who has to say, all right, we're going to have to stop. That was, that was a really big hill. We're just going to hang out here for a minute. Um, and so I feel empathy for what you know mom has to do and stop regularly. But if you know yourself you just know you need to do that. Yeah. Um, so that, that causes some people enough stress that, um, it affects their mental health. Another big one that a lot of people talked about was that they're so, the condition is so misunderstood. Um, people look at them and say, well, you look fine. I don't know why you can't run. Mm -hmm. You look fine. I don't know why you can't, you know, sit out on the porch in 90 degree heat. (laughs) You look okay. Um, and so that causes some people a lot of stress, um, survivor's guilt. And we talked about that some with, um, Alex's cancer diagnosis, but because this is a genetic issue, um, I know in our family, dozens and dozens of people have it and some have experienced, um, sudden death and that's really hard on the family, especially the immediate family. And so a lot of others who have HCM suffer from survivor's guilt because their condition may not be as bad as the person in their family who had a sudden death experience. And um, so that's hard for some to handle. Hitting milestones was something that was discussed. And I know that has... um, affected me. I've thought about it. I don't, I don't know that it's, um, done a lot of damage to me mentally, but I I have thought about it. Um, my brother died at the age of 55 when I hit that age 
I certainly thought about it. My sister died at the age of 59 when I hit that age. I made note of that. Um, And then my mother died at the age of 66, which I hit last year. And um, it was kind of sobering to think that um, I had lived longer than my mother was able to live. So a lot of folks, especially if they have young, young family members who've passed on and they, um, you know, have, have had to hit milestone after milestone without them. And that's been tough for them as well. A lot of people um, struggle with their insurance companies. Um, and I know that can happen with any diagnosis, not just an HCM diagnosis. I know for me, my when I was first diagnosed, my cardiologist sent me to Mayo in Minnesota. And um, I got a full workup and um, they have some HCM experts there. And uh, I really learned a lot about the condition. And uh, that's when they told me I needed a myectomy where they go in um, open heart surgery and cut out a piece of your septum, the um, heart muscle that's between the two chambers. And um, so we got home and got ready for that and found out my insurance wouldn't cover it at Mayo. And as we did a little more research, found out they would cover it at the Cleveland Clinic. So that's where I ended up going. But that can cause a lot of stress on folks to have to deal with um, insurance companies that will or will not cover certain things. And then, of course, traveling. For um, for HCM, they have what they call COEs, Centers of Excellence. And these are hospitals and medical teams who have met certain criteria to be called a COE for HCM. And um, there are only... Uh, a few of them every year there are more who are qualifying and they told us on the forum that the goal is to have at least one in every state which that will be awesome when that happens Um, that's part of an initiative the american college of cardiology has put together um, to try to get a coe in every state so that's exciting Um, and a lot of the other some of the other mental um, health concerns are that patients aren't treated as individuals. We kind of touched on that and that HCM is ever evolving. And I think that is um, something that relates to Alex's diagnosis as well. Um, You know, we're learning in the medical community is learning more about every disease and condition every passing day. Yeah. And you know, I think, I don't know, 10 years ago, the um, prevailing thought was that, oh, cancer is really, really deadly. It's, you know, a four-letter word. It's something that you can't come away from. But now, into the future, many, many cancers are treated surgically with no need for damaging chemo and radiation that you know, almost makes you sicker than the cancer would have. Um, And some people can take chemo pills that don't make them as sick as, you know, other chemo treatments. And so technology has really come a long way. And I think in the future, we'll see specifically for endometrial uh, cancer, we right now we lack imaging capabilities. So 
we don't know um, where exactly the cancer is in the uterus. Um, and one of the staging metrics is, is the cancer just in the lining of the uterus or has it invaded the muscle of the uterus? And that's the difference between stage one and stage two. And, you know, if we could figure out imaging to see cancer cells, okay, they're just in the lining, there's not a need to jump to a hysterectomy right now. We can manage it because it hasn't started to spread. Um, and so I think some of those things are on the horizon, on the forefront. We're not there yet. Um, but I do think things have, have come leaps and bounds. Well, and I think that's happening in a lot of different um, practices and a lot of different conditions. It was encouraging to me to hear the doctors talking about um, the initiative that's set forth um, by the ACC. And one of the other things they want to do with that is um, to continue educating doctors and patients about the advancements in HCM and how far we've come so that they're not, um, for lack of a better term, kind of operating in the dark ages, that they, they understand um, the advancements. I was a bit... Um, disillusioned with something one of the cardiologists mentioned a patient said um why is it so difficult to get a referral from your doctor to go to a center of excellence or to a, an hcm specialist and without blinking the cardiologist said um it's political they don't want to give away a patient they want to keep their patient. And that just blows my mind. But we saw that. Um, if you, It was kind of a blip in my story. But my initial diagnosis, the initial oncologist I saw, um, and the, the woman who performed my surgery um, is no longer my doctor. And that is because she left the practice where I was being seen. Um, and not a week or two after I learned that she had left the practice and she left before my first follow-up appointment. Mm -hmm. So three months between my surgery and my first follow-up appointment, I never saw her again. Um, but I received a postcard in the mail <laughs> inviting me to her practice and I didn't really care for her anyway. So I chose to stick with uh, my new doctor at the same practice whom I really like and, and get along with. Um, but it was really interesting because when I asked for a referral for a pelvic floor therapy consult, um, the only pelvic floor therapist in Tallahassee, which is a medium small town, it's kind of like a big little town, um, was in the practice of my old oncologist, her new practice, her new practice. <laughs> so, um, so that was just kind of a funny little thing, but, um, and we don't know why she left. We, you know, we have no idea, but we just know she didn't give you any heads up, no heads up, no notice, but very political that she had me as a patient. She got me into surgery less than a week after I was diagnosed and then invited me to her new practice for follow-up. So again, everything everything is political and I hate it well I did too I just listening to her say it and you could tell she's as a physician is not happy about that um she was just being very honest and um uh very transparent about that's one of the reasons and it shouldn't be but it is one of the reasons 
So I guess um, my takeaway, first of all, I was just thrilled that the HCMA and the ACC got together and said, we need to have this patient forum. We need to hear from patients and um, interact, have them interact with doctors and um, try to, you know, glean what we can. Um, So I think that's a really healthy thing that Mm -hmm. doctors are wanting to listen to to patients and gather data and information and suggestions. Um, And then the other thing is there's a new drug that is being developed specifically for HCM. Um, There is nothing like it on the market in the past what, or, and currently what we're given is um, either a beta blocker or an ACE inhibitor um, that, kind of does the job of um, blood pressure medication um, supposed to help your thickened heart beat better or more efficiently Um, the way my doctor explained mine was that um, it kind of slows down when the uh, heart opens up and fills with blood before it contracts so it has more time to pump the blood efficiently Um, And so far, that's all that's available. But there is a new drug on the horizon that was discussed in this forum. Uh, It's called Mavacamptin. And there are so many HCM patients who are so excited and just hoping and praying that it's going to be a positive thing that works. There are some people already in trials and are being studied um, because it's supposed to specifically target HCM. And that... That could be a real game changer. Um, the beta blockers in, in the amount that we have to take cause extreme exhaustion. And, um, y- you know, it's, uh, it's really difficult to function anyway with a damaged heart. But then when you're taking medication that puts you in slow motion, uh, it's, it's every little bit of energy you have to just try to keep moving sometimes well and not just the constant fatigue but i you know will do something that i don't know a few years ago before my diagnosis i would have no problem doing and now doing something like unloading my um washing machine it's really really deep and i'm really really short (laughs) and so i have to pretty much bend in half and you know really reach to get stuff and that knocks the wind out of me and that never would have happened before and so it does kind of give you this feeling of like inadequacy i'm a 34 year old woman who should not have these kinds of issues yeah but i just have to accept that that's the heart i have so i need to you know deal with it well and i remember um last christmas some folks in our um neighborhood decided to go caroling And, of course, masks were mandated at that time, so we all had masks on, and we walked from house to house in our neighborhood and sang Christmas carols. Well, Alex and I are singers. We have sung our entire lives and um, have never had issues, (laughs) but we had a tough time. First of all, we had a mask on, and, you know, you can't really breathe efficiently with the mask on um but secondly walking and then stopping to sing um we were out of breath before we started singing i never dreamed it would be as difficult as it was i didn't either and 
one thing that singers who have studied singing for a while really kind of pride themselves on is their breath control and being able to sing a whole phrase of music without taking a breath and which is how it's supposed to be done (laughs) I know but that's you know just yeah so every other word I was taking and not just a breath I was going (gasps) like taking a gasping breath of air because I just felt so winded and never had time to really catch up yeah and we're still wanting to carol this Christmas but we're gonna um hopefully masks are gone for for now and so we won't have masks on but um we'll see hopefully we can figure something else out and it won't be so tough because we really enjoyed it um and back to the forum let me just wrap up by saying uh, another thing that was very encouraging as we wrapped up the patient forum was that there is initiative um by the american college of cardiology they're working hard to uh, improve things for patients and to educate doctors and patients um so that's very encouraging. You know, people could just sit back and be okay with the way things are, or they can see a need for improvement and get in gear and uh, make those improvements. So that's what I see happening. And um, it was it was a good experience in that I feel like everyone was heard. Patients heard the doctors, doctors heard the patients, and um, that information is going to go forward and make a difference for the HCM community. It sounded like it was a really positive experience. And, um, you know, it's nice to not only hear what's going on in the medical community, but the fact that they invited patients Mm -hmm. to have this kind of discussion. How nice is that? I really wish more um, medical communities would do that very thing like the cancer community even smaller the gynecologic cancer community you know they could especially now when everybody's doing virtual meetings it's so much easier Mm -hmm. they could pull in a handful of gynecologic patients and a handful of gynecologists and um even some drug reps if they you know wanted to make that part of the initiative and just talk um it doesn't have to be a four-hour forum like we had but even an hour or two together i think would glean a lot of information and we've talked about knowledge is power and that's not just patients um gaining knowledge about their condition but it's physicians gaining knowledge about their patients and about what they're treating them for so um, communication is never a bad thing nope not at all in the news. Today's In the News comes from the Women's Cancer Foundation. Um, they have a blog that I follow and I get email updates on. And something crossed uh, my desk today, as they say, um, that or this week, that really struck a nerve with me and stuck out to me because we've talked about this before. HPV-related cancers are on the rise. And when I heard that, I was like, no, 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 no. Cervical cancer, we know, we've talked about, is at an all-time low because of the HPV vaccine and because of um, regular screening and, and people being more aware. But the 
blog starts with this. With the exception of cervical cancer, (laughs) HPV-related cancers are on the rise, especially in older adults. Um, And so the blog goes on to say, over the past 16 years, this is a long study, the incidence of cervical cancer has decreased one uh, percent annually. So over the last 16 years, it's gone down over 16 percent. And they credit this to vaccination rates and also improved screening. But other HPV-related cancers, which can occur in both men and women, um, are becoming significantly more... Uh, prevalent. And so for older women, the incidence of anal and rectal cancer approached that of cervical cancer. Whoa. Notably in women over 80 years of age. Isn't that crazy? So, you know, yes, we're screening for cervical cancer and um, all of these regular tests and things, but it makes you wonder what else aren't we doing and that population they weren't around i mean they were around because they're old but they weren't (laughs) (laughs) but they weren't the right age when the vaccine rolled out well and just think um after a certain age women quit going to the gynecologist they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't but i'm telling you they do especially once they're through menopause a lot of women just say yeah i don't need to go back and they don't um plus a lot of women and i would say older older than me (laughs) (laughs) um might not feel comfortable talking to their pcp about some you know rectal or gynecologic issue and maybe just don't they just don't bring it up and you know that's something They've made great strides in wanting to be sure you're not in a domestic violence, um, you know, situation. They ask you those questions. Uh, A lot of that kind of mental health stuff. It seems to me like with that older population, with this data, there should be some kind of uh, screening, even if it's just a question or two. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I guess it's stereotypical, but like, Get the AARP involved. Yeah. Get, get groups that target um, older people. Go to nursing homes. Mm-hmm. Go to facilities that where these people are. Go to community centers that have senior centers in them. And to have doctors talk about how important it is. And maybe what the signs and symptoms are. You know, if I don't know right off the top of my head what all the signs of an anal cancer are. But I could imagine what they involve and surely that strikes a nerve and like, Hmm, maybe I should get this checked out. Um, but I also wonder if, I mean, over 80, I think, and maybe this is a generalization. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like once you reach that age, you become less mobile. A lot of people might be in a place where they're being cared for and they are not necessarily caring for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so they may not be as aware of what's going on and their caregivers might not be as aware of what's going on. So really interesting news out of the Women's Cancer Foundation. Um, we will put this on our website as always. We always put links on our website um, so that you can also subscribe to their blog and get all of their updates. And that was In the News. 
Thanks so much for listening today. I know I learned quite a lot and it's a condition that I have. So I hope everybody learned a lot and how we can um, transfer. I had a professor in college who always talked about how we could transfer lessons um, from one subject to another. And so um, transferring this HCM lesson into our lives as women and some other conditions we might um, be dealing with. And so we thank you for our loyal listeners. Uh, We know you all are out there and we really, really appreciate you. If you are not already following us on social media, please take a minute to do that. We are down there aware on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok. Um, You can always find us in our episodes, our show notes, links that you hear in the episode on our website, www.downthereaware.com. And while you're on our website, go ahead and check out our merchandise. We have stickers um, of our logo as well as magnets of our logo. So they're great gifts and they are... um, They help all of our listeners share um, that they are down there aware and that their friends and family should be down there aware as well. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 